Welcome to Talk About Talk with Dr. Andrea. In this podcast, we will learn about all things communication. Listen as Dr. Andrea and the experts she interviews share their expertise. Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Welcome to Talk About Talk. I am Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. You can call me Andrea. Today, we are talking about social media and social media marketing. As always, I encourage you to follow along with the show notes. You can find them in the podcast tab of the talkabouttalk.com website. Now, I recognize this is not always possible, particularly if you're driving or doing something else while you're listening, which is what I tend to do when I'm listening to podcasts. Just know that the show notes are always on the website for you. I also encourage you to sign up for the Talk About Talk weekly newsletter. Just go to talkabouttalk.com to sign up and receive one concise email every week from me focused on helping us all become better communicators. Okay, let's get going. In this episode, you will learn a lot about social media and social media marketing. Since our guest, Andrew Jenkins, covers the social media marketing part more thoroughly, I thought I would start by providing a brief summary of social media in general. Of the 7.7 billion people on the planet, according to Statista, about 2.7 billion people now use social media. That's 35% or over one-third of the people on the planet. Staggering! That includes what I will call pure social media use, which is amongst consumers or individuals, as well as social media marketing, which is when businesses or brands use social media to communicate with consumers or with other businesses. In terms of popularity, Facebook is the most prolific at about 2.2 billion active users. Then it's YouTube, then WhatsApp. You should know there are different ways of measuring the audience sizes of these platforms. Typically, though, it's measured in terms of number of active accounts over the past year or over the past month or maybe over the past week. And don't forget, many of the users on social media are active on two or more platforms. So maybe you're a person who likes to keep up with friends who you might not otherwise see. Or maybe you're an amateur artist or a chef who likes to share photos of your work. Or maybe you're managing an online brand and trying to engage new and existing consumers through social media marketing. These are all great reasons to use social media. I would suggest that even if you're someone who has rejected social media, social media affects all of us. When something's trending on social media, it is trending in real life too. In a few minutes, I'm going to introduce you to Mr. Andrew Jenkins, whom I refer to as a social media guru. I promise you will learn a lot from him. But first, let me take you through some of the top social media platforms, what they are and what you should know about each of them. First, the elephant in the room, Facebook, the most prolific at 2.2 billion active users, as I stated. Facebook has the reputation of being used by older people, but 25% of Facebook users are aged 25 to 34 years. Is that old? Facebook is used primarily on mobile or phones, and it's where people tend to share and like links to other web pages. With its broad reach, it is often the default for businesses with social media marketing, with over 90% of businesses who engage in social media marketing, including Facebook in their mix. You should know that not all social media platforms are growing and so prolific. On the other end of the spectrum, 
Google Plus is being shut down in April 2019 due to lack of engagement and for other reasons. YouTube is the second most popular platform after Facebook. YouTube is, of course, the main video sharing platform. The other social media platforms have recognized the power of video and they're now enabling stories and posts using videos. It will be interesting to see what happens with YouTube. WhatsApp is a group texting platform similar to Facebook Messenger. Twitter is a microblogging platform that limits posts to 280 characters. It's popular with journalists and a great way to stay up to date on what's trending. And as our guest Andrew Jenkins points out, the tone on Twitter can be snarky. I actually hadn't noticed that before. I might call it clever, but I do think Andrew's right about that. Instagram is where people share images, be they photographs, stories, videos, and or quotes. As Andrew Jenkins notes, it seems to garner the most engagement, but it is limited to visual posts. Pinterest is also an image sharing platform for aesthetic pursuits such as food, style, beauty, and home decor. LinkedIn is the business-oriented social media platform where professionals post their resumes, where they post their business-related ideas, where they network, and often where they find jobs. Snapchat is the most used platform for the 12 to 24 demographic. It allows users to post images that disappear after being viewed. As you can imagine, that can result in some dubious posts. Not just on Snapchat, but across all social media platforms, concerns have been raised regarding dubious practices such as cyberbullying, online harassment, trolling, and even terrorist recruiting. Apparently, about half of young adults have been cyberbullied, and in one study, 69% of 7th grade students claim to have experienced cyberbullying, which they said was worse than face-to-face -face bullying. As Andrew Jenkins says, and I quote, people get very brave and emboldened behind a keyboard. Okay, it's time for me to introduce Andrew. Andrew Jenkins earned a BA in economics from Laurentian University, a BFA in film production from York University, and an MBA from the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. He has coached companies like CIBC, RBC, BMO Nesbitt Burns, Sirius XM, the Globe and Mail, and more on social media strategy and social selling. He also taught entrepreneurship at OCAD University and currently teaches digital strategy at the University of Toronto's School of Continuing Studies. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Can you share with us what are some current trends in social media? What is hot right now? So I did a little research and I read two things are growing, in particular, Instagram stories. So they copied Snapchat and they're kicking their butts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the second is WeChat, which is a very lucrative and prolific version of Facebook in China. Have you heard the same? Well, uh, yes, I have. Uh, Instagram uh, is now... 1 billion active monthly users globally. Uh, amongst the clients that we work with, if they're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Instagram will have more engagement than the others combined. But having said that, it's not the greatest referrer of traffic to your website. Mm. So people are staying with you on Instagram. They're staying housed in that environment. Interesting. They're engaging with the content. It's really, really sticky, but it's challenging because Instagram is a solely um, image-based network. Right. Now, 
this may sound like uh, being sacrilegious, but part of me feels that we've in some ways been duped by Instagram. So if you look at Vogue magazine, we've taken that same imagery from Vogue magazine and moved it from a roughly eight and a half by 11 layout in a magazine, and we've moved it to a two by three inch screen. And for whatever reason, we're going, wow, this is amazing. So that's my take on Instagram. Instagram is huge for engagement and has right. sponsored content and it's the medium for influencers like um, the Kardashians and so on. I think Kylie. One of the case. She gets $2 million a post. David Beckham gets 300000 I believe. There was a recent study. I Something could have, I could to aspire have that to. <laughs> How long is influencer marketing sustainable? Um, you know, it ha you have to, if you're an influencer, it has to be genuine. It has to look like you actually believe in the product that you're promoting. Because if it looks like you're shilling, right. so this month it's, you know, uh, Rolex and next month it's Omega. Well, was it they just, Omega gave you a bigger check? I would say to them, as long as you're not recommending products that you can't stand behind. Right. Of course. If I drink Coke, I'm not going to shill for Pepsi. Because it's going to feel disingenuous. And at some point, someone's going to catch me drinking a Coke. Right. And it makes you look bad. <laughs> and it also makes Coke look bad. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, um, you know, the, there's... And, and on the flip side, so we've been talking about the influencers. The, brand, the brands also have to be responsible for choosing the right influencers. And having a dialogue with them to say, like, we're sort of going to partner up here. How enjoyable will this collaboration or working relationship be? Because right. it could be... You don't want an influencer that's showing a hundred products, you know, it's better that there may be exclusivity agreements, right? Well, there could be that. So or like, it yeah, if we're going to do three years together or a year, like, well, okay, then we really have to get along. Right. Uh, and some influencers and they're finding it challenging to keep up the main content. Yeah. To be, to be right. well, what am I going to say or do today? Right. So <laughs> there's the, the duo on YouTube that have a slow motion camera and they're constantly trying to come up with things to film in slow motion, blowing up or squashing or whatever. Now they're getting suggestions from their audience. And the marketers are probably coming up with all sorts of ideas for them. And then it, does it feel off-brand for the influencer? Does it feel right. disingenuous? Because like I'm doing it because the brand who cut me a check is saying, um, do this. So the learning there then for people that are on social media is to stay true to what they are, right? It, even in the midst of paid marketers coming to them. And then the message to social media marketers is to make sure, ideally, that it is a true partnership with the you know, social media brand that you're... Because they're, they're going to be an extension of your brand. They're an right. ambassador. Now, if you want to There's call a them halo an employee... Effect. Yep. Now, this is where brands, when you're thinking about influencers, like, can you brand a hashtag? Can you... And uh, how much ownership do I have of that influencer? Mm-hmm. How much ownership do I have of their everyday life? Right. Where, okay, I'm going to hire an influencer and we're going to go live. I have no... It's risky. I have it's no risky. editorial oversight. Um... Even if we may have given them a script, per se, will they stay on it? Think of the advisors to Donald Trump when he goes off script. I, I think it probably really <laughs> depends on your brand persona, right? There are some brands that they're edgier. Yeah, it's probably, I'll call it, it would seem logical that they're an extension of that brand. Mm -hmm. 
But if you're a real buttoned-down conservative brand, the thought of going live... Yeah, but you know what? To play the devil's advocate there, I would say that the real magic happens when consumers don't think it's edgy, and then the brand becomes edgy, right? Do you know what I mean? Well, so Wendy's is getting a lot of media attention because of the snark that their community management team has been allowed to uh, convey, especially on Twitter. I hadn't heard that. Interesting. Uh, but now to the point where consumers will literally tweet to them in order to get a snarky they're response. They're baiting them. Because well, they're like, oh, you won't believe what Wendy said to me. So like someone tweeted something, and I'm paraphrasing here. Um, hey, Wendy, I'm, I'm in the drive-thru at, at Burger King. What should I do? And one word response, leave. That's hilarious. And, I love it. And so they're getting huge media attention as a result. But now... The imitators are coming along saying, well, yeah. trying to be snarky. Yeah. And I remember a friend of mine who worked for um, a sports franchise here in Toronto. And they could be snarky on Twitter. But that same edgy snarkiness, if they attempted that tone on Facebook, is not welcome. Do you so, think that that's a prevalent conclusion? Yeah. Yes, it's anecdotal. Uh, I'll give you that. But... I just in my own personal experience, I do find that Twitter. I mean, there are more trolls on Twitter, which isn't a great thing. And I'm not praising it, but I do find that the snarkiness, the edginess, the humor, and the more provocative interactions happen on Twitter. So it's more reverent, and Facebook is a little bit more buttoned down. Is that right? But I also think that it speaks to the age demographics. So right, and you're talking about different tones across the different platforms. So. If well, I have one message as a brand manager that I want to get out on social media, you need to be and on then you tweak one. it, right, of course, <laughs> and you tweak it for, just take the example of on Twitter, you make the message a little bit more irreverent, and then on Facebook, you make it more... You have to play around. Um, and you've got the luxury of A-B testing. So you could try a different headline and call to action on Twitter versus what you try on Facebook. Right. Now, Twitter's expanded to 280 characters in a tweet anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got a, a more content available to you To We're working with a, um, a golf course. Uh, and we took a, an image of their golf pro and took a quote from him and put it on top of the image. And the purpose, uh, and we put it on Instagram and we put it on Twitter... And we said for Instagram that the link to the blog post, which is an interview with him, was in the bio. On the golf course's website. Right. So if you get a 1% to 2% engagement rate on Facebook, you're rocking. Yeah, you're golden. We're seeing 6%, 12 17% on Instagram. In this case, for this particular post with the golf pro, 20 Now... So the people that are seeing it have already opted in, uh, right? They've they self-selected because they they're following. But still... That's but, impressive. Yes. Now, in fairness to, to larger brands, if you're a Coca-Cola with 2 million followers, those numbers are going to get kind of skewed. Now, this is a golf course. It's, they're only known locally for the most part. So their followers are you know, not in the millions. You're better to have 100 followers that are highly engaged because it's the old 80-20 rule. If I have 100 customers that right. love us... You heard thousands that are indifferent to the me. The theory of 100 true fans, Yeah. right? If you have 100 true fans... You're golden versus having 100,000 people that like you. You want 100 that love you. Well, and I, I question, so, okay, I'm going to give Kylie $2 million to post on their Instagram. Now, the founder of the influencer startup was describing, he said, 
one of the reasons brands should be giving more consideration to micro-influencers is for that rule of 100. Because they have a lot more of those highly engaged, yep. smaller audiences. Versus when you get into the millions of followers, some of them are there because it's just a curiosity. Some of them are there, well, this must be something going on because there's a million other people. So they're right. the cheap the mentality. Professionals also may mm-hmm. say, well, I'm going to follow Coca-Cola because... They're one of the top 10 brands in the world every year, and I want to learn best practices. It's not even because they're engaged with the brand personally, That's right. right? And they may never buy a beverage. So talking oh. about this micro-targeting, I'm wondering if there are any campaigns that you've heard of that you can share with us that have been a great success. So we'll, we'll do some success stories, and then we'll do some fails. We'll run campaigns and go silent. Right. But social's on every single day. Right. And that doesn't mean that you should be marketing every day. But the idea of what is it you can do to, to remain engaged with them? Now, there's that's a that's a really interesting challenge for marketers, right? But so they usually fall back on that. Well, we must market. But but that's why that's what I'm saying. It's it's a real challenge because we all know as marketers that we're not we're not going to waste our customers' time by presenting them something that's not newsworthy. It needs to be relevant and compelling to them. So. I'll give you an example. So if you're a brand that is accustomed just to brand message, brand message, brand message, and I say to you, okay, tomorrow I want you to give them something that's not from you. So retweeting something or sharing something yeah. that I find you, interesting. But do you know how foreign that is to brands? Oh, okay. <laughs> so the example I like to give is we work with a bank, uh, with financial advisors and mortgage specialists. It's about a, the one-to-one relationship. If I buy a mortgage from you, I'm not going to see you again foreseeably until I have to renew. Well, given that your business is predicated on referrals, you might want to stay engaged. But if all you're going to send me is emails about the latest news about rates for mortgages, which I've now locked into for five years. Right, it's probably only going to make me feel bad. But if you know, oh, I bought a fixer-upper. Here's an article about DIY or home renovation advice or home decor. So I I think there's an opportunity then for marketers to brainstorm what are the primary source content opportunities, right? So what we can create, what we can talk about about ourselves internally and what we're doing and why we're doing it and how we do it. But then there's secondary sources where you could actually be retweeting or reposting someone else's post who's in the same space, or you could drill down in another area of the consumer's or the customer's interest, right? So there's a great example of HP has the HP Small Business Group on LinkedIn. Well, it's sponsored by them, but they just sit back and they're facilitating dialogue within the group amongst the small business. American Express Open Forum. It's a platform for small business. They're sharing content to help the small business succeed. And oh, by the way, it's brought to you by... American Express. I can follow the Twitter account for American Express Open Forum and never be a customer. Right. But if I value their content because they've established themselves and have a reputation Mm. for being a premier source of content for small business, is just that. It takes longer for a payoff. Going back to what you are saying earlier about trends, increasingly Facebook is a pay-to-play environment, but it cannot be ignored. 76% of Canada is on Facebook. Right. Just under 50% of Canada is on LinkedIn. So I can't ignore Facebook because just by the mere numbers, the likelihood of me reaching someone of my target audience yep. is 50% bigger on Facebook than it is on LinkedIn. From my perspective, depending on the age demographic, 
if it's a pretty broad age demographic from the mid-20s into early 40s or even older, you should be on Instagram, Facebook, uh, and Twitter. And each network serves dif different purposes. Facebook is lower volume of posts on a daily basis and maybe some higher engagement, but the reach is there if you boost your content with ad dollars. Right. You can still do a lot organically on Twitter uh, just because it's so data rich uh, and open for research and listening. Instagram right now is enjoying amazing organic engagement and a, a dominance with influencers. So if those things align with what you're trying to accomplish, then right. yeah, you should, you should be there. Uh, you know, I talked about this recently with someone who has 100 people that love her. She's trying to increase that number. And she said, I did one boost. I boosted an ad and I got three new customers immediately. And she's in, in nutrition, so it's, you know, it's not that scalable. Right. She's one-on-one, -on -one, so having three new customers is a huge success. And right. I said, really? She did what is now being referred to as micro-boosting. So Facebook will even tell you, if you share a piece of content and you start to see some early signs that people like it, those early signs are an indicator to you, okay, so let's throw 25, 50 bucks, 100 bucks behind it to give right. it a little... It's push like, it, just push it. It's like throwing gas on a fire. You can have some success for a modest expenditure uh, on the likes of Facebook and get you know, three customers as a result. So modest expense, nice ROI. So, so I did want to ask you some specific questions about um, okay. metrics and tracking. Mm -hmm. There's many marketers who regardless of what space they're in, whatever category they're competing in, they feel like, oh, we got to get online and we got to get on social, right? right? Well, um, to your point, some people say, well, we need to be in social. And often, t or we need a Facebook strategy. And <laughs> I, I know I sound a bit snarky. Facebook didn't have a Facebook strategy <laughs> when it first began. Yeah. Um, and we, we forget, 10 years ago, MySpace was bigger than Facebook. Right. I remember students coming to me telling me I should get on MySpace. <laughs> well, it's, it's, so it came, it went, it came back again, and now it's essentially gone. So the question now is, does that mean if Snapchat is waning in growth, or as more recently some financial announcements from Facebook uh, are you know, causing any Wall Street analysts some concern, does that mean in another decade there'll be something else? I don't and know. is it the Wall Street analysts, or is it actually the users that matter? Well, some people say, well, you know, Wall Street analysts were big on BlackBerry because every Wall Street analyst, and, uh, oh, I have a BlackBerry, you have a BlackBerry. Well, that's a great mm -hmm. example, right? Because we're all consumers. But we have to be careful. Oftentimes, having, if I'm giving a presentation, I'll talk about a behavior in social. Stemming from a, um, a Drake video, people will get out of their car and dance beside their car. And post it. Well, they're stepping away out of the driver's seat. The car is coasting door open right. they're walking or dancing beside the yep. car while more recently someone got hit by a car i heard that yeah so it's kind of like or they're eating tide pods because it's a competition now there's the hot water challenge where you stick your face in boiling water yeah. because someone so it's dangerous behaviors that are being well there was a, a comic strip was saying jump off a cliff no i'm not going to jump off a cliff jump off a cliff i'm not going to jump off a cliff change it to hashtag jump off a cliff oh, okay they jump off nice but um, all that to say that um, you know social is so data rich that um, you know we can inform uh, a lot of our decisions and um, ROI can be proven but when it comes to organizations who say to themselves we need to be in social we need a social strategy 
they need to pause for a second and say, okay, let's make sure from a, a broader strategic planning point of view that we're doing this for the right reasons. Right. I'm preaching to the choir. It's pretty basic. <laughs> this is the stuff that I talk about. But, but, what are the basic metrics that everybody expects? So the, the basic metrics are the vanity metrics. Likes or fans on your Facebook page, followers on Twitter, uh, followers on Instagram. So you move from the vanity metrics of audience to okay. engagement with okay. their posts, then to metrics uh, which are more closely aligned to your business's strategic objectives, which might be sales. And then here's the other thing that uh, organizations have to understand. You do not own your Facebook page, your Twitter account, or your Instagram account. They're just on loan to you. And so it's all well and good to spend a lot of time and energy there. And this is coming from someone who works in social media. Okay. But Fred Wilson of This is a little bit frightening to hear. Well, Fred Wilson of EC said, Nike's brand is not Facebook.com slash Nike. It is Nike.com. Right. So you want to use social in, in addition to your email newsletter and all your other marketing means to be driving, driving your audience to your website. I have heard that. Yeah. Sign up for your newsletter, download your ebook, download your white paper, register for a webinar, buy your stuff. Okay, I like this. So the first layer is vanity, the second layer is engagement, engagement and then the third layer is, is the outcomes. more specific ones that are aligned with your specific business objectives. And outcomes, yeah. But as, as far as trends go, as we are seeing more and more uh, video-based content garner engagement, then... Most videos either housed natively on Facebook or on YouTube, right. which is which are neither are properties that you own, right? But you can embed them in your website. I've so, that. Okay. Um, or well, here we are sitting doing a podcast, which is another form of content and an increasingly popular form of content. Well, iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever means you use to house this podcast, you can embed the audio file in your website. And so brand managers have to increasingly wear what I call their content hat. I need to think of a series of core digital assets. Then around that, what are the peripheral pieces? So, if so I'm are the do, ass- I want to I want to just understand okay. this uh, the definition of core digital asset. A foundational piece. It's the conduit to which your customers are the reason your customers are coming to you. The, you can think of it as physical, even though it may be online. Right, the main, the right? main piece, right. Extracting from them key insights or highlights from said white paper, or sorry, analyst report. Transcribe the podcast, transcribe the two-minute video. There's two different blogs. Right. And so you see where I'm going. I've only, it's I, multimedia. Suddenly. But I still haven't ventured into, it's not a second white paper or a second analyst report. I'm just kind of extracting key elements from the original asset right. in different forms because different audience, some people are audio, some are visual, some are, I want to read that full analyst report. Or someone says, what can you tell me in two minutes? Because <laughs> that's all I got. Right. Uh, and this is where a lot of marketers would do themselves a, a, you know, a, a service by thinking it's not about more content. It's about exploiting the content that you have, or a nicer word, leveraging the content that you have across all the different. How much content have you made from the last three years that could be revisited as opposed to, and that's proven to have worked? Right. That could be updated. Compelling. Yeah. So, like, and you want a mixture of evergreen content versus seasonal. 
banks. You have RSP seasons in, in every February. You have tax season in April. Right. You know, every month there are national whatever days and there's this day in history. Is there something of, of a this day in history? So uh, we work in healthcare. Maybe there was a medical breakthrough 50 years ago in history. Right. On the morning radio show that I listen to, I feel like they're doing this, just filling time now by telling me, today is international, whatever, omelet day. <laughs> well, but because it's funny. and, and it I have one other question that I want to ask you about okay. a topic that is near to dear to my heart. I think about <laughs> the psychology of personal identity all the time and the okay. motivations behind creating and maintaining personal identity. Mm -hmm. So you post on social media, I know this, both personally as Andrew Jenkins, mm -hmm. as well as professionally on behalf of your firm, Volterra. Right. And pr probably in other contexts as well. And I'm curious, how conscious are you of your in real life, authentic self versus your corporate identity when you're posting? Uh, very. That is you know, legitimately how I do it and what I advise people to do. And, and okay. let me explain. So when it comes to Facebook, it's friends and family. Uh, and I'm locked down from a privacy settings point of view. Okay. Um, but I wouldn't say or do anything. And if I'm giving a, a keynote presentation, I tell people, don't say or do anything on social that you wouldn't say or do to your grandmother in front of a room of 100 people. When we mentioned earlier about fails, well, there's brand failures because they were either tone deaf or people didn't consider the potential re uh, repercussions. Right. So, um, so I just. To, to There's recall, lots of haters online, right? They're not just trolls. They're well, actually people, haters. People right? get very brave. They do. And emboldened behind a keyboard. But if you were to drag them out from behind the keyboard and say, "Okay, now say that to my face in front of this room," well, you'd see some people kind of shy away. Okay. I'll give you a personal example. Uh, a friend of mine was being trolled or you know being personally attacked on Facebook you know and I jumped in to the fray to you know defend her well defend her and I broke from my typical protocol and I kind of went after him and then in hindsight I thought you know what I've broken my own protocol it's not just what I say in front of a room of 100 people it's someone screenshotting what I say in front of a room of 100 people and it lives forever there's a line from the movie Notting Hill where, if for those of you who have seen it, Julia Roberts' character gets photographed by the paparazzi. And her significant other in the movie says, well, what's the big deal? They're just pictures. And she said, no, they're not just pictures. Every time there's a story about me, they bring this back to life. And so... I, after I had made these comments on it, and I thought, well, if someone takes a screenshot, and given the work that I do, and the industries that I deal with, and so on, I know better than this. So I went back and I deleted the thread. You're lucky you caught yourself instead of someone else catching you. Sometimes I've joked, if someone's going to make a career limiting move, they will do it, whether it's within social or not. There are some people who just will make those mistakes. Do you have any other suggestions or advice for our listeners in terms of social media? It could be personal or professional. The thing that I, I probably would uh, leave you with is you know, it, it's not about being a mile wide and a foot deep. You don't have to be on 10 different social networks. Be on a few. One, I think, is insufficient in order to really cover like the, all the uh, overlapping audiences that you're maybe trying to reach. 
So don't just be on one network, but recognize that for every network that you open, you must resource with either a person, a management tool. While there may be economies of scale in social media in terms of going across different platforms, that you shouldn't assume that once you do one, you can scale to the others well, at no cost. You raise an interesting point there. That being, just because you're on three platforms doesn't mean that I, on Monday I go to your Twitter account, your Instagram account, and your Facebook page, and it's the same piece of content. I'm done. And the, the last thing, uh, and it kind of ties into what we talked about earlier about uh, social media fails. One of the reasons that social media can be uh, manageable or can scale is through automation. And we use tools to enable that as well. Scheduling tools so that, okay, we're going to do some social posts on the weekend. There are tools that can make the management of your social scalable and easier to do with a few resources. However, if you tip that more towards what I call autopilot, where you're kind of like set it and forget it, that's where you can have social media fails. So the National Rifle Association had a tweet scheduled for Friday morning a few years ago. And just by sheer circumstance, it was the Friday morning after there had been the shooting in the movie theater screening of Batman. Yeah, I and think the, I heard this, and, and it the, went out anyway. And so the tweet goes out on Friday morning. Happy Friday, shooters. Weekend plans? Question mark. They got ripped for it. They yeah. shuttered the account for the weekend. It was, As they should have. It was bad. Disgusting. Okay, now I'm going to ask you the five rapid fire questions that I ask every guest. Are you okay. ready? I'm ready. First question, what are your pet peeves? Um, being made to look unprofessional. Okay, duly noted. Second question, what type of learner are you? I have a background in films. Visual can uh, resonate with me. Sometimes I like to read, but I, I can be. I know that sounds like a it depends answer. No, or, well, most of our most of us are it depends, right? And I think it's more rare for people to say, "Oh, I'm really 100% visual" or whatever. It's introvert or extrovert. Introvert. Wow. But not shy. Well, the funny so uh, fast go past back in time, 15 plus years ago. And I'm in my MBA class, and if you asked me to stand up in front of 50 people who I knew quite well to speak to them, present a case or whatever, I was petrified. Really? I would have butterflies in my stomach. So you got over the shyness, but you're still an introvert. So, I, so you know, I'll be talkative in a room, but I oftentimes, sometimes, and I've been accused of being aloof or arrogant because I'm quiet and reserved, and I'm, I'm and this is, you know, I'm listening first. What is your communication preference for personal conversations? Do you phone, email, text? I've never been a big lover of uh, the phone. I am with you on that. Um, which is like I often hold a phone up during a presentation and I'll say to the audience, how many of you still use this as a phone? And they all start to giggle. And if I can add to that, people ask me, well, what's your favorite social network? And it's and it's a social, it's not so much about social. I use, LinkedIn is incredibly valuable to me for my career and my business. I'm an information junkie. And uh, I love Twitter for the amount of information that I can capture from it, which right. is why I like Instagram, but I don't love it like many do, because it doesn't, it's not a medium for disseminating information to the same degree as some of these others. Last question. Mm -hmm. 
Is there a podcast, a blog, or an email newsletter that you recommend the most? Um, the most recent one I'll share, um, we talked earlier about, you know, Here's the Thing by Alec Baldwin. Yeah. But because we're talking about social media, the one I would recommend is from Buffer, uh, which is a, a software uh, scheduling solution for social media. They have a podcast called The Science of Social Media. Okay. The Science of Social Media. Okay. I'm going to check that mm. out. How can the listeners here connect with you? Uh, they can follow uh, me on Twitter uh, at a Jenkins is my Twitter handle, or at Volterra Social is the corporate Twitter handle. Okay, and um, I will put links to those up on the or podcast they, notes. They can find me on LinkedIn. Great! Thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise, Andrew. My pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Andrew Jenkins. Like I said. Andrew is my go-to social media guru, and he certainly demonstrated that here today. To summarize, I leave you with a few key learnings from today's episode on social media and social media marketing. First, in terms of social media in general, there are many platforms, and they all suit slightly different purposes. Whether you're an individual or a business, if you're not already online, I encourage you to try a few and see what feels right and what gets traction. If you're into photos or visual aesthetics, try Instagram or Pinterest. If you're younger, try Snapchat, and so on. Andrew suggested trying at least two platforms, which I also think is a great idea. A few social media marketing pointers. The challenge to marketers is to consistently come up with fresh content. So, how about repackaging your existing content? Take your core digital asset and break it up into visual images, quotes, tweets, and so on. When coming up with other ideas for content, you could also consider seasonality, like holidays, and of course you could consider retweeting others' content. As Andrew Jenkins says, can we agree that 20% of our content will be about us, and 80% will be about things that are of interest to our followers? Sounds like a good idea. When creating social media marketing campaigns, there are three layers of metrics. Vanity, engagement, and then the more customized strategic measures. But don't let thoughts of these metrics paralyze you. Certainly, being strategic and having objectives is always smart business. But as Andrew says, and I quote, I don't mean to be snarky, but Facebook didn't have a Facebook strategy when it first began. True. I love it. Now, and always, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget you can easily reference the transcript and all the links and references for this episode in the show notes at talkabouttalk.com forward slash podcasts. I also hope you will sign up for the Talk About Talk weekly newsletter. This is your opportunity to receive one concise email from me each week, highlighting what I think is worth talking about. My goal is to help us all become more effective communicators. Thanks again, and talk soon!